Welcome back to Ear Crush, the Friday podcast for people who love listening to great stories. My co-host again this week, I'm super excited, is Natalie Gray, the co-author of the story we've been listening to for the last few weeks, Bellatrex. She's the co-author with Michael Anderley, and we're about, we'll cross over the halfway point in the story this week. Natalie, welcome back. Thank you. Have you become internet famous based on your podcast appearance? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> every day. <laughs> it's just so hard to keep your head in check. I know that's the case for me. Anyway. <laughs> I barely fit through doors anymore. <laughs> so you have been busy. The last time you were on, we talked a little bit about the trials and tribulations story. And we talked briefly about the Vigilante Chronicles, which you're working on now. Let's go into a little bit more detail about that. These are basically the tales of Ranger One, Barnabas. Yes. And uh, Michael had talked to me about, you know, bringing Barnabas out of his shell a little bit. I think we can all agree that if ever there was a character who needed to unbend slightly, it is Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> so he and I spent months actually going back and forth on ideas of where we wanted to take that. And uh, I don't think either of us even expected how fun his friendship with Shinigami was going to be. And how much she was going to help him unbend. <laughs> and we've just had a great time with it. So you say it took months to, to sort this out. Kind of walk us through that process of, of figuring that out. Because it's all magical to, to those of us who aren't doing it. Well, with any character, I think the, the biggest thing is we see them go up against all sorts of struggles. The world of the Cartherian Gambit is gigantic and there is so much going on and they all get thrown into this together and need to work as a team. But also when you're showing off a character, you want to make sure that you show them responding to the parts of the world that help them grow the most. And Barnes is not great at relying on other people. He opened up once he was deeply, deeply in love and had that ripped away from him. And in the aftermath of that, he lost everything about himself that he cared about. And so as he's rebuilding himself, he's very wary of opening up again, ever. Mm -hmm. And at the start of the book, he thinks it's going to be fantastically easy to do this. He's got Shinigami. Shinigami is completely irreverent. I mean, how are they ever going to... <laughs> Be friends. I mean, they work together because, you know, they have to and they respect one another mostly. And, uh, you know, in a professional ca capacity, absolutely. But, you know, they they aren't friends. They don't rely on one another. And then that changes kind of without either of them really noticing it. And before you realize it, they're building this sort of family of strays from mm -hmm. all over. And it, it's just amazingly fun to write. <laughs> now, have you been surprised uh, at the reaction of the fans to the series? Yes. it uh, Writing is so, I mean, you're on your own. Um, you're talking with your co-authors. You're talking with, you know, the rest of the team. But you know, you sit down, you type, you send stuff off. It's a very limited dialogue. And then it comes out. And even since Bellatrix, uh, people have been so welcoming and so vocal. 
And this is just a whole nother level of that, the, the feedback I'm getting on this series. So that's been amazing. Which is, which is really cool. And for people who don't know, and, and there are, there are a lot of, a lot of people who just read the Cartharian Gambit or the LMBPN books, you've published some other books on your own. Yes. Uh, I have a, a couple series going right now, actually. I've got The Dragon Core, which is uh, also shenanigans in space. <laughs> and, <laughs> is that the tagline for the series? I think it should be. It should be. <laughs> I should start making that. You we know? should record one of those because I just like that. Shenanigans in space. I, I would love to. Um, we've got uh, Shadows of Magic, which is uh, shenanigans with druids. <laughs> Um, that's just going to be the, the all purpose tagline. And then I've got, uh, another, uh, a pen name, which is, um, Moira Katzen. And that is sort of epic fantasy stuff. So how long have you been writing? Um, I've been, let's see, I've been publishing since 2012, I think. Yeah. And, uh, gotten a whole bunch of, of stories out. And at this point, I feel like I have more stories to write than I will ever have time for. So it's just trying to get all of them, share all of them. It's so fun to be able to do that. You have these stories in your head. You can bring them to life and, and share them with people. I know you have an email list where you let people know when there are new books coming out. I will link to that in the show notes. So Thank uh, you. if you guys, it'll, it'll show up in whatever, however you listen to the podcast, they'll be in there. So just click on those and subscribe to the email list so you get notified when when Natalie writes these books that are shenanigans in space or with <laughs> druids. So with that, it's time to get back to Bellatrek. Let's bring Emily back on. Theodore Dimitru leapt off the ski lift and landed with a puff of pure white snow under his skis. He surveyed the valley below, savoring the silence. With the Christmas holidays over, he was one of the only people at the resort, and he liked that. He had even asked his wife not to come with him on this trip. He knew that hurt her, especially as he had been working such long hours while his firm tried to acquire Ionescu Corporation, their main rival. But the truth was, he didn't want her to see his weakness. He was badly shaken by the threats made by a man who had once been a friend, and was now a business rival. Teo had been finding messages on his work line, his cell phone, his email— the messages were graphic. If Theodore didn't abandon his quest to buy Ionescu Corp, a business Virgil also wanted, Virgil would have him killed, unpleasantly. Ripped to shreds was the term Virgil had used. It brought to mind claws and teeth, a sort of primal fear, even though Theo knew it couldn't possibly be literal. He walked awkwardly in his skis to the edge of the mountain and stared down at the pristine white slope. Then he tipped forward and began to pick up speed along the first straight piece of the path. He told himself he did not believe the threats. That was even true. He could not believe that Virgil would take a hit out on him, not over a business disagreement. Virgil had been at his wedding. Their grandparents lived in the same neighborhood and still met each week for tea. The calls rattled him nonetheless. He had come here to regain the stability and calm he was known for to regain his resolve. When he was pitting himself against nature, he remembered what it meant to be powerful. On mountains, as in business, there was no room for mistakes. 
Theo always came back from these trips refreshed and sharp, no matter what was troubling him. He told himself it would work this time, too. It was a little ways down the hill, coming around a tight turn, that he first saw the man behind him. The hair on the back of Teo's neck stood up. He only just managed to stay on the course as he returned his eyes to the snow in front of him. Someone behind him. Had Virgil sent an assassin after all? It wasn't possible, he told himself, but the man was coming closer. He was dressed all in old, worn black gear. Most of the people who came here were wealthy, but this man clearly was not. He had a simple mastery of skiing, moving lightly down the course that tested all of Teo's skill. Teo gave a despairing look through the trees. They were not far from the resort, the way the crow flies, but this black diamond course had been designed to be both difficult and long. It wound back and forth many times between where Teo was and the bottom of the slope. Fear began to hammer in his chest. He wanted to call for help, but he knew the wind would just take the sound. He really was alone on the course, just like he had wanted. He spared a thought for Mariana, his wife, who would be waiting at home for a call. He had been very short with her the last time they talked. Damn it, he regretted that now. He tried to focus on the tight turns of the path, but he was getting sloppy. Every time he looked behind him, the man was closer. Every time he looked back, he was a split second from catastrophe. He was still picking up speed. He could not afford to make a single mistake. He had to be faster than he had ever been, more controlled than he had ever been. And then he came around a bend, and there was the branch. It was laid out on the crisp snow in front of him, not at all touched by last night's snowfall. Teo swerved to try to avoid it. Had it been left there as a prank? Or was it this man's colleagues hoping to lure Teo into a trap so they could kill him on the mountain with no one the wiser? He tried desperately to correct his course, but his speed was too much. One ankle twisted, he felt the agony as a bone snapped, and then he was tumbling end over end in the snow, branches whipping at his face, sliding downhill with the chill of snow shoved up beneath his coat. He came to rest deep in the trees. He tried not to sob with pain or fear, but it was difficult to control himself. He did not hear his pursuer come around the corner, but he did hear a startled shout as the man encountered the branch. What? Wasn't it part of his plan? Teo tried to crane his head to see and caught sight of a black-clad figure tumbling down the slope. And then, he must have hit his head. Teo wasn't sure he wasn't really seeing a massive wolf pad out of the shadows of the forest nearby, accompanied by humans. They picked up the other skier, and his head lolled on his chest. They slapped him, hard, but he didn't wake up. Was he dead? Teo could not tell. He watched as the humans argued amongst themselves, and the wolf snapped at them. And then they set off with the unconscious man dragged between them. Teo wanted to cry out for help, but he was scared. He was seeing things. Maybe none of them had really been there, but maybe they had. And what if they treated him as roughly as they were treating the other skier? He just had to wait until one of the ski patrols came back later. They were safe. They were... Oh, it was so cold, and his leg was in so much pain. Teo saw the world fading, and he lost consciousness long before one of the ski patrols came by sometime later. A prone figure in the dense undergrowth, he was invisible to them. The patrolman clicked his tongue at the kids playing pranks, 
pulled the branch out of the fresh snow, and continued on his way. He liked getting away from everything. Alec tipped over the edge of the downslope and grinned as the wind began to ruffle his hair. It was perfect out here today, not least of all because there was only one other person on the slope. Alec didn't like coming to places like this when it was busy. People sneered at his well-worn winter clothes. Some of the women liked the thrill of sleeping with a guy they didn't know on vacation, particularly one they knew would never show up in the clubs and spas they frequented back home. But even that didn't make it worth it. Right now, he wasn't thinking about any of that. He was only thinking about the turns, the way the snow crunched under his skis, the way the winter air felt in his lungs. He was a good accountant, very good, and he took pride in his work. But being out on the slopes was better. This made him feel alive. He saw the other skier look back at him a few times, probably worried that someone in shabby winter gear wouldn't know how to pass him safely. Alec shook his head and rolled his eyes. He'd make sure the other guy didn't get so much as a scratch on that expensive parka of his. Then he came around the corner and the man was gone. Had he fallen? Alec turned his head sharply and caught sight of a shape in the snow. He didn't see the branch until it was too late. His skis caught and he went end over end. He kicked his feet free of his skis, but that wasn't enough. Between one somersault and the next, his head struck something hard and the world went black. He never saw the nightmare that came out of the woods with the men to drag his unconscious body away. I'm telling you, I heard it. Chazar struggled along behind Emelion, one of the skier's limp arms wrapped around his shoulders. Another scream, before this one. Emelion looked back and fixed the man with a yellow stare for a moment. Then he kept walking, disdainfully. He had been daydreaming about ripping Chazar's head from his shoulders or sinking his teeth into the man's neck. When he was human, he dreamed about just shooting him, no fuss. But in wolf form, his dreams were bloodier. No one else came by, Marcel said. He was breathing hard. The skier was tall and well-built, a heavy burden to drag down the mountain. Emilion smiled his wolf smile, a curl of the lips, baring his teeth. It was good to be in charge, to make the plans, to watch others carry them out. It was also good to be out in the snow in his true form, his strongest form. The other Vexel Bog in the underworld had called him weak. They called him a coward. But who was still alive now? They'd drawn attention to themselves and allowed themselves to be killed by a vampire who, if the stories were true, must have one foot in the grave by now. They were weak, not a million. I swear I heard it. Chazar was talking again. Emilion growled, low in his chest. Chazar either didn't hear him or he was too stupid to know to stop. Shouldn't we go back and check? If anyone saw Emilion like this, it's going to be all over the news. There are so many superstitious people around here. They're going to believe it. It was a mistake changing. You aren't even doing anything in that form. Emilion batted the skier's body out of the way as he leapt. Long claws raked through the ski gear like it was butter, and he felt them catch skin. No matter. Their client had told them to make this man suffer before he died. But he wasn't going to waste time on him yet. Emilion pinned Chazar instead, big paws on the man's shoulders. He lowered his snout to Chazar's face and savored the look of abject terror. 
He hated having the stink of fear around him all the time. Now he enjoyed it. Chazar should be scared. He was about to die. The bastard started babbling. Come on, boss. You know it's risky. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. No one else will. Marcel just kisses your ass. But I'll always tell the truth. You shouldn't have. The pity was that he had to die quickly. No one could hear screams echoing down the mountain. Chazar's life ended in one snap of Emilion's jaws. His throat was gone, and he bled out under the trees within a few seconds. Emilion stepped off his body and grabbed one of the arms in his jaws. He pulled Chazar's body along without comment as Marcel struggled to keep up, now carrying the skier alone. Marcel didn't complain, though. Not after that display. <laughs> Good. Yelena was training hard enough that her top was soaked in sweat. Her fists hit the bag with dull whomps, and she savored the feel of exhaustion in her muscles. Two years ago, she'd learned that her natural strength made her a good fighter, but that a trained boxer could still hurt her more than she wanted to get hurt. The lesson had come from her ex-boyfriend, Ciprian, a man with startling good looks and charisma, but also a petulant nature that had only revealed itself when she walked away from him. In the end, she hadn't been as easy to intimidate as he thought. Still, she'd learned something important about the world. She'd learned not to give an inch to people like him. She'd learned that, when it counted, you had to be the best in the ring. Now, she was getting pretty close. She'd started boxing lessons the same week she sent Chaprian packing. And even though the other boxers at the gym had laughed at her when she showed up, she'd earned some grudging respect from them over the past 24 months. She was quick, light on her feet, and she had the stamina to keep going long after most boxers began to get sloppy. Not to mention, she packed way more strength into her slender body than anyone ever expected. She followed her punch with a kick and was just turning to slam her elbow into the bag when pain hit her. It was distant, but it was as real as if she were there with Alec. Breathing in cold air, terrified as the world spun around her and everything went black. And then, even as he slid into unconsciousness, she felt hands pull him up, hit him. Elena? Boris, the gym boss, was at her side in a second. What's wrong? Horia, one of the other boxers, sneered at her. You pregnant or something? He was one of the guys who still hated her after all this time. He didn't like that she showed him up in the ring sometimes, even though he won frequently. He didn't like how the guys had started to like her and laugh at her jokes. He also didn't like Bellatrix, and he definitely didn't like that Yelena brought the dog with her to the gym. She never went anywhere without Bellatrix. The dog was at her side in a moment, a cold, wet nose nudging at her worriedly. Bellatrix never worried needlessly. And for a moment, Yelena had the crazy thought that maybe Bellatrix had felt Alec's pain too. She shoved that to the back of her brain, where she shoved the thoughts that she could talk to Bellatrix sometimes. During the first year, the images she came to believe were coming from Bellatrix had become clearer, sharper, more detailed. But the last couple of months, she was having conversations in her head. Actual words. She knew no one would believe her if she said that. Hell, even she didn't really believe it. Not really. Or so she told herself. She let Boris help her up and gave him a tight smile. I think I sprained my wrist. She wasn't even aware of picking the words. She had to get to Alec. Now. 
She began to make for the edge of the mat. You'll never be a boxer if you quit when you sprain something, Horia muttered. Yelena pulled a sweatshirt on over her tank top, giving him a glare. You know what? After two years, if you still don't like me just because I haven't got a dick, you can go fuck yourself. Hey, Boris said warningly. He held palms up to both of them. Not tonight, okay? I have a date, and if I get in the middle of you two, no one's going to want to have a date with me. I'll lose what little good looks I have left. Yelena gave an unwilling chuckle as she laced on her outside shoes, but only a tiny piece of her was still in the room. She could feel the memory of Alec's pain, and it scared her. She gave a smile and clapped Boris on the shoulder, and left without another word, Bellatrix patting at her side. Out on the street, Bellatrix stayed close to her, either looking for the same comfort Yelena needed right now, or offering it. She looked up once, worry in her unusually intelligent eyes. Is he all right? I don't know, Yelena answered the question she shouldn't have heard. She shouldn't have answered, but the words were always so clear in her head that it seemed rude not to say something. I don't know. We have to find him, Trix. I'll call Mama, see where he was going to go skiing this week. I thought we fixed this problem. Bethany Ann crossed her arms over her chest and glared out the window into space. I thought once Stephen took out their leaders, they would understand that things were different now. John raised an eyebrow at her. Really? No. She sat down and crossed her legs, kicking out a red-soled Louboutin. But I live in eternal hope that someday that pile of shit-eating rat fuckers down there will get their act together, and I won't be required to go kill them all. Just think how bored you would be if that happened. I think I'd like to be bored, Tom. Huh, you might be getting old. Mention a lady's age like that, and you'll find yourself strapped to the outside of this ship, Tom. Eventually, you have to let some of them leave. Gabrielle leaned back in her chair, smiling. She wore a black tank top under a leather jacket, artfully faded jeans, and what appeared to be well-worn boots. Bethany Ann shook her head. Every once in a while, Gabrielle liked to play the bohemian. Maybe it was her years in Paris, but it was weird to see her in faded, ripped clothing, compared to the crisp looks of all the other vampires Bethany Ann had ever met. Now, though, there were more pressing matters. Okay, explain to me why the fuck I should leave any of them alive. They're like cockroaches, Gabrielle shrugged. You can never stamp them all out. There's always an underworld. Eventually, you need to go after bigger fish. That would be a good suggestion, if they weren't forcing my hand. Bethany Ann tapped her fingers on the chair arm. Earth hung below the ship in vibrant blues and greens, streaked with white cloud formations. She narrowed her eyes at Europe. And if I weren't bored out of my damned mind... John mouthed silently to Gabrielle. That's the real reason. She nodded back, trying not to smile. Stephen? She reached out with her mind. There was a small pause. Then, yes? Oh, dear, Bethany Ann said wickedly, speaking out loud for those near her as well as mentally to him. Did I interrupt something? John snorted. How may I help you, my queen? So formal, and yet not answering the question, I notice. Bethany Ann snickered. I'll let you get back to your girlfriend in a second. I just wanted to let you know there's some trouble in Romania that I'll be handling personally. Instantly, she felt Stephen's worry. 
Is there a reason you do not wish me to handle it, my queen? Have you been displeased with- No, absolutely not, Bethany Ann spoke hurriedly. Stephen was one of the most loyal, most competent members of TQB Enterprises. She regretted that her words might have worried him. Stephen, you know I have no concerns about your abilities. I am going a bit stir-crazy on this ship, and I know you're dealing with other matters, like the reports of laboratories in Bulgaria. Her lips curved wickedly, a gleam of humor in her eyes. And your girlfriend, of course. Stephen had been tracking down several groups of enemies, accompanied by Jennifer, a fact that caused no end of jokes on the Meredith Reynolds. Stephen, who had once enjoyed Tinder and could hardly walk into a bar without picking up a stack of phone numbers, had proven to have decidedly old-fashioned and gentlemanly sensibilities when it came to an actual girlfriend, a fact Bethany Ann found endearing, <laughs> but still teased him about. Like, every damned time she had a chance. She could practically hear the vampire grinding his teeth right now. It's healthy to sow some wild oats in your old age, Gabrielle chimed in sweetly. Stephen ignored his daughter. Will there be anything else, my queen? I'll let you know if there is. Enjoy your romantic getaway. Bethany Ann cut the connection as John snorted with laughter. All right, so it's settled. I'll go down tomorrow. John's smile was replaced with a weary look. With? With what? With who? Whom? Pete grinned across the room at him. John gave him a look, but then returned his gaze to Bethany Ann. Do any of us get to go with you? I can handle this on my own. I'd be more careful, actually. Gabrielle stretched like a cat and settled back into her chair, raising her eyebrows at the other vampire. You want to be cautious around the weak ones. Bethany Ann frowned. How do you know these ones are weak? Even in the underworld, the pack structure is the same. Gabrielle shrugged. Stephen took out the alphas and most of the betas, along with some of the others. So, who's left? The ones who weren't strong enough to be in charge. She raised her eyebrows. And they're the ones who are angry that they are not as strong as the others. They are resentful that the others look down on them. But they can't take any of the others on in a fair fight, so they always watch their opponent and hit where they are weak. So do I, Bethany Ann grinned. She sighed when she saw the same expression on everyone's faces. <sighs> okay, fine. I'll take some people with me. John, you see who wants to go with me. Cap it at uh, six. I'm going to go pack. Adam tells me Romania is cold as a Yeti's balls this time of year. Adam actually said Yeti's balls? No, Bethany Ann answered. That part I modified from the Ice Age number he quoted me. Oh, you mean something less than 40 degrees then? Peter asked. Bethany Ann called out over her shoulder as she exited the room. That's a first-class ass-kicking for you next time we spar, fur boy. John smiled at Peter's stricken expression. There was one thing that they all realized after a while with their queen. Bethany Ann never forgot who deserved an ass-kicking when it came time to spar. Well, thank you, Emily Beresford. Hey, before we sign off, I'd like to update you on two new audio releases we've had this week. Right off the top, the big audio news of the week for us was the release of Captured Death, 
Cretherian Gambit, book number 20, narrated, of course, by Emily Beresford. But that's not all we had this week. On August 8th, Transcendent, the fourth book and the final book in the popular Orisaran series, The Casey Chronicles, was released. So if you're looking for a complete series, The Casey Chronicles would be a good way to go. On the ebook front, we had several releases this week, including Dawn of Chaos, book one of a new Age of Madness series. Uh, that series is called The Caitlin Chronicles. We also released book four in the School of Necessary Magic series. The title of that book is Strong is Her Hope. And by the way, if you're a fan of that series, the first audiobook uh, was, has been recorded and is in post-production, so that should be out shortly. And the second and third are in the queues to be recorded very soon. And finally, today, Friday, August 10th, as I record this, we're waiting on Amazon to release book two in the Cartharian Endgame, which we published this morning. So I'm assuming that will be out by the time this reaches you today. At least, at least we hope so, because a lot of people have really been waiting for the next book in the Bethany Ann saga. So that's it for this week's episode of Ear Crush. If you like the show, please tell someone or maybe share it on your social media accounts. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the audience for a podcast, and we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word about Ear Crush. So thanks again for listening this week. We'll be back in your ear again next week with the next installment of Bellatrix. Bellatrix.